offering information for your mind, enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Thank you for joining us today for Sabbath School U. I'm Marcellus Ashley, and with me today are... I'm Abigail McPherson. I'm John Davis. Andrea Keel. I thank all of you for being here. We're going to be discussing Christ's teachings on the Great Controversy. Um, would you please pray for us? Sure. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to think about you and focus on you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us and guide us. And thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 What did Christ teach about the Great Controversy? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that he taught that, you know, when you look at the lesson it talks about is the concept of rest. And not just rest on the Sabbath, but rest in other forms. Um, when you look through the Bible, there's a few different examples. Uh, one of them actually comes from Jeremiah uh, chapter 30, verse 10. And actually, I, I want to read that really quickly. Because it's, it's actually a really interesting way to look at rest. Uh, it's actually a period of time where they had just come out, the Israelites had just come back out of captivity, and it reads, Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. And so, in that, you know, they're talking about just different ways of rest, you know, that it's not just about, you know, taking the Sabbath off, or uh, taking time during the different feasts that they had to to rest, but also when coming out of captivity, that you're you know God is able to just give you a time where you're just able to just get back in connect in connection with Him, um, and and I find it really interesting because the Bible talks about rest in that form, but then when you look at situations where Israel's in captivity, they don't have any rest. You look at in Exodus and where uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and, he, and he's showing these different signs and, and, and wonders and each time Pharaoh hardens his heart and he even talks about how you know, he wants them to go into the wilderness and have rest. But instead, you know what, let me, give you, let me make your work harder. Let me take away your straw and make you work even more. And so I wonder why, why, does God, why is it so difficult to find rest when you're in captivity? That, for me, that's kind of the biggest question I have in this. Hmm. It's ironic, I was watching Prince of Egypt last night, so <laughs> it's a good story. Um, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to find rest is because we're so drowned or surrounded by the problems that we have that we kind of can't clear our minds uh, with it. So it's all about the situation and not necessarily about the God who's going to deliver us from it, but we're just surrounded by it. So even when you have mentioned the concept of rest, I find that nowadays we only really equate rest with the Sabbath. Like, oh... I'm so happy that it's Sabbath and now I can finally get rest. But as you mentioned before, there's different forms of rest that is available to us at all times. But we kind of just don't hone in on that or own it for ourselves because we, we have the, the captive mindset. I think it's interesting, too, that I, when I was reading through this lesson, um, I'd never connected rest with the great controversy or Jesus' teachings on rest with the great, the great controversy. Um, so to me, it's like, how do you how do you see that now um, played out in like, do you have to fight for your rest or, you know, or is, is um, you know, the enemy trying to distract us from that? And is what is Jesus trying to tell us um, in this great controversy between good and evil? 
um, in the concept of rest, especially in our culture right now. Well, let's define rest a little bit. We talked about the Sabbath. We talked about types of rest that aren't the Sabbath. What, what are we talking about when we talk about rest? I think for me, rest, when you look at the lesson and what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is it's time with him. It's time where we free ourselves from the distractions, from anything that would keep us from being able to fully focus on him. And that's, I think that's why we equate it with the Sabbath, because that's the only time many of us carve out or make sure to carve out as Adventists. So, you know, that's my, my take on what rest is. I think also just trust. Um, Any time that we're willing to trust, I think that's partly what the Sabbath is, is you're willing to set aside your work to say, all right, God, like I can't do it. And this is the day that I'm going to fully step aside from it. But I think it's really about a lifestyle of, of trust. And um, you can take that any day of the week, pretty much, anytime that you're trying to just take control of things um, and you don't, you know, you have to set aside and be like, all right, this isn't my work, this is God's work, and how's he going to get it done? Me just being super practical, I try to equate it with sleep or naps, Mm -hmm. but when I wake up tired every morning, I feel like I didn't achieve the rest that I I was going for. So it has to be something different, or it has to be another concept that you appreciate to be able to say, oh, I feel well rested. But when I wake up in the morning, even after eight, or however many hours of sleep I get, or however long my nap is, I still wake up tired. And I have to realize that in this life, I'm probably never going to achieve the full rested and fulfilled type deal I'm going to have. But when I do have my relationship with Christ, I can feel like I I don't have to worry, which is a a trusting that you were referencing. So I can appreciate that more, understanding that I'm never going to be just like super yay. But um, but then I can I can just have the trust um, in God and, and just appreciate what he's given me. So then rest more so isn't a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, from, what I'm, from what I'm hearing you say, it's about, you know, like you said, that trust and that ability to have been, you know, although the problems you've dealt with have made you weary and spiritually you may be drained, but Jesus is able to give us that rest so that we have that renewed spiritual energy so that we're able to conquer those things that he brings us, that we get brought to on a daily basis. And I, and I think one of the things you mentioned uh, about uh, about rest flows right into the the idea of planting and harvesting because you know when we we look at planting we 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 do I'm trying to recall exactly where I wanted to go with this but when we look at the idea of planting and harvesting we we work so much we work so hard to to plant the seed mm-hmm. we we you know have crusades we you know on a daily basis are trying to not just work on our relationship with Christ, but we're trying to reach others. And so we spend so much time trying to do these things that we sometimes forget to rest. We sometimes forget that, oh, wait, I'm so busy doing the work of God or what I think is the work of God that I didn't take time to, to, to talk with him or to, to worship with him. And I think that's really important to understand. And who do we leave the results to from that work and whose work is it, basically? Yeah. I think the memory text definitely addresses it perfectly. Uh, Show us. Yeah. From Matthew eleven twenty eight. I think it's just a, a good description of what is available to us to us through Christ. I mean it reads, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, that's Jesus capital M E, all of you who la- who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And if we continue on to twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, it's interesting that, that Christ brings up 
in resting, we're taking his yoke. Mm -hmm. and so there's some very clear work here. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there is rest in work mm -hmm. and that resting isn't the whole story. What else is Christ telling us about what our part in the great controversy is? Well, I was just thinking it's um, whose yoke is it? Mm -hmm. Who's, who, is it your own and your own agenda or is it his that you're picking up and his strength? That's, uh, that's what makes me think of. And what, from what I understand about a yoke, when you like yoke a pair of oxen, um, I just think in comparison of that is what Jesus is referencing, that if we're yoked up together, that he's going to help us do the work. And I can only think about the different, what they say, don't be unequally yoked. So, you know, you can't have one big cow, one short cow, but it's Jesus kind of stooping down to our level or coming up to our level, wherever we are, to be able to do the work with us. And um, I can really appreciate that because we're all at different levels. I'm sure we're all here at different levels. Can you imagine, you know, Jesus coming and, and I'm right here. And he says, all right, cool. I'm right here with you. I'm going to go with you. And you might be right here. It's like, all right, great. I'm going to come right here with you. And we're going to complete this together. But no matter where you are, he's just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to adjust um, for you so that we can complete this work together. So understand that we're not alone. I think that's great. Okay. What is that work then, the, the yoke that he's asking us to take? I believe that that work is what we consider to be planting. It's planting the seed in other people's hearts that Jesus is coming and that there's a Savior who's willing to forgive you of all of your sins and, and to wipe the slate clean. And so I think that's, that's the real work that has to go on and that he tries to get us to understand. And even in that work, I think it's important for us to take from the parable he gave about you know, the farmer who, so, who sowed seed across, you know, different types of land and some of it fell on rocks, some of it grew up with weeds. And so it's important to know that our job is to do the planting, that we don't necessarily have control of the harvest or, or what results. But as long as we've done the planting, then we've done what, we're, what we've been asked to do. And, and I think that we sometimes get caught up in wanting to see the plants grow and wanting to see what happens and then reaping the harvest ourselves instead of allowing God to do it. Getting your points. Yeah. <laughs> do you think this applies also to, um, I guess, God's work in us? Because sometimes we take on the burden of us changing mm -hmm. and being able to see the results of, you know, whatever we think our work is, you know, whether we're reading the Bible three hours a day and we should have it memorized or I don't know, like whatever it is. Um, but maybe this is also... Um, his work in us, the fruit of the Spirit, I guess, coming out, um, which I think automatically translates into how we're going to share that with other people. If, if the Holy Spirit is in us, changing us, then he's also going to be reaching out um, through that and changing other people as well, starting that same process. Yeah. Well, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, when we talk about changing us, it makes me think about New Year's resolutions. Because, you know, so many people go through and, you know, it's, it's the time of year where people look around and they look at themselves and go, well, what do I want to be different next year? But how often do we ask ourselves as Christians, how does God want us to be different? And, and how, how does God want me to change? Because, like you said, we have sometimes our own agendas and it's not the same as God's agenda. And that's why it's so important as we, you know, as seeds are planted in us, that we allow God's agenda to take to take priority over our own personal agenda, as we plant seeds in others. You know, I, I have some good friends that I've shared the you know shared the gospel truth with, and I just allowed God. You know, I just planted and, and, and gave encouragement and allowed God to to grow the 
the, the desire in their hearts to go to church mm-hmm. and to, to worship him and to focus on him. And I just kind of took a hands-off approach. Whatever, God, whatever you want to be done, be done in this situation. And instead of uh, trying to stay on the person and, hey, well, you know, why aren't you going to church or why aren't you doing this? Because I think sometimes we become too aggressive after we've planted. We, we, we want to become more pushy and, and, well, hey, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Instead of just let the seed grow, give it some water, give it some time. And, and I think time is something that we, we sometimes, as humans, forget to allow to, uh, forget to understand that these things take time. It's not an overnight transformation. It's not an overnight. Plants don't just spring out of the ground uh, and then <laughs> are 10 feet tall. So, you know, we have to understand that. I even think with the time situation that um, it, everything's not going to go our way. It's not going to be picture perfect. And even the people that you share the truth with, they're going to have their own experiences. They're going to, sometimes you can't give everybody the manual right. to how you overcame or how you made it. And, you know, we see that example kind of with the, the two houses, one being built on a rock, one being built on the sand. Maybe they were friends. Maybe he was like, you know, I, I'm going to build my house over here. I know. You know, if he's like, oh, no, but this is beautiful beachfront property, we're going to be here. I don't think that's a good idea. This is like, I'm, I'm, go ahead, you do whatever you got to do, I'm going to do what I have to do. And then when those trials and those rains come, that person has to only learn by experience. Now his house is gone because he maybe wasn't listening to the advice of people who have kind of been there. But um, I think that even with the, the way that we have similar goals in life, um, our foundation is truly revealed by our actions. So when it when it does come and we're experiencing these difficult times, the way that we handle the situation or the way that we're standing strong on our foundation will truly be a, a testament to other people to be like, you know, there's something different about that person or it didn't work out for me. What did they do differently? Mm-hmm. What does Jesus teach us is the difference mm-hmm. between those people, between the foundations? Two foundations. One is building on the rock. One is building on the sand. So who is the rock, I guess? And what is the sand? Let's, let's, let's look at it. Let's look at the verse. It's 7. Um, 24 to 27. 24 to 27. Um, could you read it first? Sure. Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does, and does them will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and it was a great fall. Mm. So what do we say the difference is between these two, the fool and the wise man? Well, I think... When, when you look at this parable, you know, the wise man, he understood the importance of where he built and not just the fact that he's building. And, and I think that's a major, a major difference between the two. The fool just said, hey, I'm just going to build wherever. doesn't matter where I build because it's just a house. And I think the wise man saw the importance that, yes, it's a house, but it's, it's got to be rooted. It's got to be grounded so it doesn't fall. It, it's... It's more important. It's it's not just a house to me, right, and I right. think that's where where it becomes important as Christians. We have to understand that it's you know the foundation is critically important because we're important. We're God's children. We're we're 
in his eyes, we are precious. And so we have to, you know, understand and recognize that. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I learned something in this lesson because whenever I had pictured this parable before, I'd always thought, you know, like the, the foolish guy, the dumb guy goes down to the sand, you know, to the beach. And he's like, I'm just going to build a house down here and have a great view of the beach. And the other guy goes up to the mountain and like builds it up there. So it seems like really obvious. Like, why would you do that? Um, but I liked how they pointed out that it was all hills and you can't always tell. So it's almost like the guy with the, who wants to take the path of least resistance um, he's just like, I'll build anywhere. And it, he builds on the sand because it's easy. He doesn't have to dig around a lot. Um, but the guy on the rock, I mean, he had to do some research. He had to go digging a little bit more um, and make sure that he had a firm foundation. But that was worth it, even though it took him maybe a little extra effort um, to find that foundation. Obviously, it paid off in the end. Mm -hmm. It was worth it. What I like is that they both heard. They both had the opportunity to hear what God had to say. They both made different choices. But the inevitable happened when the rains came and the floods descended. They both had the same or similar experiences, but they both heard and made their choices, which they had to suffer the consequences or reap the rewards from what happens after all of, you know, the rains and the floods and things like that come. Which I think is a good example of the great controversy as far as, um, you know, we're just a little part, you know, as, as a person who's in it or as a person who's sharing with someone, we're just a little part of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we're working with a God and with angels and, you know, everything so much bigger. Um, it's, it's humbling to think about it that way. But you're right, like any, you know, everyone's hearing the same thing, but we're just, um, we're all a little all part of it. Building the sand are <laughs> doing them. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the message of choose life or, or choose the alternative. That's, that's what's reflected in the, the building of the houses. Uh, the man who built on the firm foundation, he knew that in the end, no matter when everything fell down, or when all the troubles came, when, when all the chips were down, that it would still be standing because Christ was the center, was the foundation, the, the rock. Whereas you know, everyone else who hears the, hears the, has the opportunity to hear the message and they choose not to heed it, they get swept away. I mean, think about uh, Noah, for example. You know, he was given a message that well, I'm going to flood the earth mm -hmm. and build this ark, build this massive structure. That and, and and he he gave instructions on what to do, and he told the people for for a long time, hey, you know, this is going to happen. And people heard the message, and it fell on deaf ears. They built their houses on sand, and in the end, when the flood literally came, they were washed away. And so, you know, that makes me wonder sometimes, what, is there anything that we can do to help others hear the message in a way that's clear and not clouded? Because I think sometimes we, as Christians, are either not as, we're either too strong sometimes, I think, in our message, or we're not strong enough. So what can we do to make the message clearer or help other, others understand, you know, what's at stake here? Right. And I think that that is us living our lives out through Christ. So as you were saying that, I was thinking, um, even before in uh, Matthew 7, one th um, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, the general concept is about the specks in the eye. So, so the foundation situation happened a little bit later, but beforehand, we see that you have to kind of take care of your own situations before you go and try and point out the flaws of other people. So let's say hypothetically, the man who built his house on a rock was so determined to convince this man who was building his house on the sand not to build his house on the sand that he never built his house on a rock. Mm -hmm. 
So now his example is faulted because you have nothing to show for what the advice that you're trying to give me. So we kind of have to fix our own situations before we go out and tell other people, you should do this, you should do that, because now we have no example. We have no evidence. They have no reason to believe us. So I'd like to read Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 5, um, just to kind of just to kind of bring that out a little bit more. So verse 1, judge not uh, that you not be judged for with judgment. So sorry for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to move the speck from your brother's eye. So that's like take care of your own business kind of first, not to prevent the message from spreading, but your example will speak volumes over the lectures that you try to give people, but they can't see you doing anything but talking to them. Yeah, There's no action. Yeah. yeah, and so how do you interact then? If you're, say, you believe you're building your house mm -hmm. on the rock, how do you interact with someone that you think is building their house on the sand? I think that's, that's where you go to the other parable of the sower because it's, I think it's absolutely true that you need to be very clear. Um, I mean, let Christ sh you know, shine out of you and, and be able to say um, things clearly. Don't try to hide it. But at the same time, realize that not everyone's going to get it. <laughs> you know, Jesus didn't convince everyone, and he was, he's God. So how can we expect that if we just said it just right or if we just you know, smiled at the right time or whatever, that someone's going to get it that, that wouldn't have otherwise? So it is a combination. But, I mean, I think that's a really good question still is, what is our responsibility to the, the sand builders? Um, how can we make it more clear for them and yet recognize we, we still may not convince them in the end? And I think we can sometimes try to help them build. And by help them build, I mean uh, meet their needs. When you look at what Jesus did, he always met their need. So it wasn't just a bunch of just here's the, here's the message and this is what I want you to do. It was hey, well, you're building a house in the sand, well, let me help you. There might be some better ways we can do this together. You know, it's always about together. Relationship relate is the important thing when you're looking at trying to help someone through a situation because they may not be aware that it's a problem. They may not be aware that something's wrong. And so if you have no relationship and you come pointing to them saying, yeah, this is just totally not right, because think about it. If the man who was building on the rock saw the man building on the sand and said, look, you're going about that all wrong. You know, your, your house is going to fall over and when the rain comes and you're going to have nothing. And the guy looks at him and goes, who are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know you. What do you mean my house is going to, no, I'm going to build my house, thanks. And, but it's the same person, it's their brother. And they're going to them in love. They're going to them and saying, hey, I see you building. I want to help you build. But, you know, I think there are a few things that we can do to maybe make your house stand up a little bit better. And so I think that's the, the important part is the relationship. They're, they're in... Once you have the relationship, you can meet the need, and then you can help lead them to Christ. But then we can't get frustrated as well. So taking that same situation, if he did say, I'm not really sure how that's going to work out for you, and they're just like, leave me alone, I'm going to do what I want. After the rains came and his house is flat, now he's homeless. Right. So that person can be like, well, you can come stay with me, yeah. right. and then, you know, I'll I can, teach you how to build. I'll teach you how to, to build. build. Mm -hmm. You know, this might be a little bit better spot. Let me show you some of the things that I did as to why my house is still standing, yeah. but then we can't be so judgmental in a sense that, you know, I tried to give you advice, right. and uh, you messed up, so now you're yeah. on your own. Mm -hmm. So we have to continue to, to be there. Like, even if we know that they're heading in the wrong situation, we kind of, we, we have to understand that 
sometimes you you're not gonna know until you until you know. Mm -hmm. But we we got we have to be with open arms. You have to be forgiving, and um, and unconditional. Because some people have to touch the fire to make sure that it's hot. But then after they burn themselves, we can say, you know, we got to bandage them up, help them get back to health. So our relationship to the rock is what would what we would need to build a relationship with people on the sands. People on the Absolutely. sands. Absolutely. And yoking ourselves to Christ is mm. how we get this rest. So he, we see that he's always there, right? Christ is always in this scenario. We always need him there. He says he'll always be there. How can we know he'll always be there? I think his word says it, you know. I, well, I don't think I know his word says it. <laughs> that, you know, he'll be with us always, um, even unto the ends of the earth. And so we trust and, and, and know that by by spending time with him, by having relationships with him, we can see evidence of, of Christ in our lives. I mean, each and every one of us that has answered his call can honestly say that they, you know, that Christ made a difference. There was a change that happened. And so um, even still, you know, I, I know that there's times where we find it I find it difficult to see him when he's, when he's there. And, uh, you know, I, I know that there have been some times in my life where it's just been well, I'm going through this situation, I'm going through this situation, and I lose sight of Christ. And so, you know, I sometimes wonder, how, how can we make sure that we, we still realize he's there even when it feels like he's not? I think um, the verse that you're talking about, it's uh, Matthew 28, um, verse 20, but it, I think it's, it's best if you start even with verse 18, um, and it's the Great Commission that everyone knows about. Um, but I'll just read it. Um, it says, and Jesus came to spoke to, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That promise comes when you're active in the mission that, that Jesus gives you. And I think that's how you can know that he's going to be with you. That's, that's where the promise is related to. Um, if you're just, you know, trying to be comfortable <laughs> or, you know, survive, I don't know if that promise really applies as much. But if you're active um, and you're following Jesus, you're obeying him, then it's good. Okay. Um, you guys really wrapped up very nicely. I'm going to give you one chance to wrap up what you've taken from this. My takeaway is definitely uh, being open and available to meet the needs of people, understanding that I'm going to make mistakes and I have to take advice from people who've come um, and given advice to me, and then I can offer the same assistance to other people. Oh, you do that a lot faster than I expected you to. Do you have something <laughs> real quick? You can spit it out. <laughs> well, I think for me it's more so about, I think, the rest factor for me because I spend so much time involved in different things, not just from a career perspective but with church and and the work I do in the church. And so just being able to understand that it's not just about the Sabbath rest, because quite honestly, I'm, I'm always busy even on Sabbath, but just taking time on a daily basis to just work on my relationship with relationship, that. Relationship, right. It's not just about, Sabbath is about relationships. Sabbath is about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed this brief conversation that we had. Um, if you would like to see more of these, you can go to www.sabbathschoolu. Org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, dot org. I'm Marcellus Ashley. Thank you for joining us.